it's, it's not necessarily the craziest idea, but you've got to help consumers, you know, make, make the choice easy for them and help them understand it. And like with upcycling specifically, we're talking about the products that would have otherwise gone to waste, gone to lower use, but you don't want to put the word, in my opinion, you don't want to put the word waste on a, <laughs> on a package, right? You don't want to make people feel like they're, you know, dumpster diving or something because they're not, you know, they're not, but they, but you still need them to understand the connection to the impact, or at least we want them to, because it's something that you know, people want to feel good about what they're what they're doing. And so, it's, it's an interesting marketing puzzle that's been really fun to make progress towards. You know, where, where I think we've—I yeah, wouldn't say we've 100% figured it out. You know, at Regrain, but you know, come come a really long way. And it's—I uh, think it's reflecting in some of the market trends that we were that we were talking earlier. This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven, sustainable product brand leaders who not only believe it better, but actively pursue it. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, and today we're speaking with Dan Kurzrock, CEO and co-founder of Regrained and board member of the Upcycled Food Association, a nonprofit focused on reducing food waste by growing the upcycled food economy. Hello, fellow leaders and humans. I am Dan Kurzrock. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Regrained. We're a food company, you know, innovating using upcycling. We'll talk a bit more about that. I'm also a co-founder of the Upcycled Food Association and an officer on the board there. And super pumped to, to be with Gage and you all here today. I was invited here to, to chat with you about it, is what I think to be the ultimate intersection between doing well by doing good for the world. Upcycling is one of the leading solutions for food waste, which actually it was upgraded to the number one most pressing solution to solving the climate crisis by Project Drawdown We're uh, number earlier one. this year. We're number <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> number one problem, number one solution. And what's really great about upcycling, as we'll get into as a, a means of product innovation and you know whether you're a marketer or a product developer or just a brand leader, is that it creates a, there's actually a for-profit opportunity to bring things to market that aren't just going to be more marketable because they're great tasting, better for people, better for the planet, but also because, you know, it's good for, well, all of those things I already, <laughs> I already mentioned, I already mentioned all, all of them. the above. Yeah. So it's, it's really, there's not a lot out there that is authentically checking all the boxes and upcycled foods, as I think you'll, you'll agree is, is one of those kind of fabled win-wins that gets talked about too much and, you know, is, is real, not often enough. For those of you who are not as familiar with food waste as a global problem or as a global opportunity, as I like to think about it, I just wanted to, to go through some of the, the numbers, you know, behind food waste as an issue. 40% is kind of the, the agreed upon amount in the US that we're wasting. So what that means is that one way to think about it is if you're leaving the grocery store with five bags as a food system, we're basically dropping two in the parking lot. And that's just the status quo, you know, that we're doing that on a daily basis. And what's incredible really about food waste, when you think about it, is that it's not just about wasted food. It's about all the resources that, that went into producing that food, as well as all of the you know meals and you know opportunities that, that that could have provided. So when you you know look at some of these statistics up here, like the fact that you know thirty percent of all farmland is dedicated to crops that are grown and never eaten. You know we're talking about mm-hmm. you know greenhouse gases of food waste were measured as a country. So when like food waste ends up in a in a landfill environment, it, it releases methane. Methane is extremely potent as a, as a greenhouse gas, and it's actually the the third largest contributor to you know, greenhouse gas emissions after the U.S. and China. Oh my <laughs> so god! It, it's just and then the economic opportunity is huge too, and. You know, we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars. And these estimates are staggering, but they overlook actually the potential actually from, from upcycled food, you know, entirely because with upcycled food, what we're really looking at are ingredients that would have otherwise not gone to human consumption, but they maybe are going to compost or maybe they're going to biodigestion for, for energy creation. You know, so it's, it's about opportunity that's kind of being left off the table. And, and we'll go through some specific examples of that. And we've been successful at, at raising some awareness about upcycled food and the opportunity that it, that it creates. Um, and that's, it's a really important part of the food waste puzzle. I mean, even if you just look at the, the volume of it, it dramatically increases you know, the percentages and the stats of what's out there to, to do something better. You know, what's Exciting about upcycling is that it's a way, again, to, to, to create that win-win. So it's taking food and putting it to its best use, which is feeding people. And by doing that, we're building a better, more resilient food system. 
And it also really fosters tremendous collaboration, uh, which is which is really exciting because with upcycling, you know, you're connecting the dots basically in a new way between different players in the food system. And while you know we're talking about innovation, we're talking about upcycling as this exciting new idea, I think it bears mentioning that this actually really isn't a new idea. The idea of doing more with less and of creating a food system that improves the way that we value resources, you know, really creating co-products where there were byproducts. I mean, this is this is not a groundbreaking concept. You know, right, right here we've got you know, one of my favorite examples. This is a vat that's being used in the cheese making process. Gage, do you know what the the byproduct from cheese is? Whey curds. That's right, whey, uh, whey and curds. Yep, and whey protein is is ubiquitous, right? You mm-hmm. see it in you know all over the grocery store. Whey is produced as a byproduct of the cheese making process. It's uh, a market was successfully developed for it, and now you actually have whey producers where cheese is the byproduct. Mm-hmm. So the economics of that have, have kind of sl- have kind of flipped, and it's you know it's an interest. I like to bring up this example because. You know, we're talking about common sense here, but with upcycling, we're really applying that in a new way to overlooked, underutilized streams that that aren't aren't you know that, that the market hasn't proactively addressed you know on its on its own. You could argue that pickling is an upcycled activity, and there's you mm-hmm. know there's uh, there's upcyclers that are in the pickling space. I mean, we're talking it's value added processing, right? So it's taking you know another example was like jams and preserves. You know, Gage and I were we're talking about. Uh, Seal the seasons earlier, and other types of, of products where you're looking at you know post harvest ways of taking you know perishables and extending their extending their life. That is fundamentally a very similar idea to what we're doing with upcycling. But with upcycling, we're looking you know largely at crops and streams that aren't you know that aren't already you know being being used. With with regrand, we're a a food tech company that you know uses. We actually have a patent on our our ability to take the grain from the brewing process, as well as other nutritious byproduct streams, and convert them into new ingredients. You know, if you look at the brewing industry specifically, there's tens of billions of pounds of barley, primarily, that's used for its sugar. The barley provides the sugar that the yeast then ferments, and we get our you know beloved aged old age old beverage, right? But what's created at the same time. Is basically a huge batch of think of it as like oatmeal, but it's barley, and so there is all the protein, the the fiber, you know, still left in this material, and it is currently not really being used for for a whole lot besides you know best case is really animal feed. So it's uh it's kind of something that we really felt was worth taking action on. Our business actually started out of my hobby for for home brewing beer. I learned how to brew beer underage as a as an undergrad. And every time I made a batch, which I absolutely loved doing, I was just blown away by how much grain I was using as a part of that process. So I started making loaves of bread with it to sell to friends. And then I would sell those, yeah, sell those loaves. You've used the proceeds from that to buy more ingredients, to brew more beer for free. And that really sent, and this is back in 2010, 2011, when I started doing this just as a hobby. And it really opened my eyes to the, to the opportunity. And we realized, okay, you know, what if we had a brewery that was also a bakery? You know, that would be pretty cool. Uh, make a lot of sense. Yeah. But then we started looking into that and it's like, okay, well, what are the commercial breweries doing? And so the, the idea got bigger and bigger as we figured out how we can apply this concept in a more and more meaningful way. So, you know, our basic business model is that we take the grain from the, the beer brewing process. It's about a pound that's used for every six pack. And then we convert it into something that is similar to a flour and can be used in recipes. You know, for, we, we have our own line of CPG products, which maybe we'll talk you know, a bit about, not really the focus of, of today's session. You know, we're using that as a way to build the market, but then selling ingredients through collaborative development partnerships with, with other food brands to help, help them bring those to, to market. And just to kind of underscore some of the environmental impact, you know, with beer making, as an example, 90% of the water footprint is in the agricultural supply chain. You're using over 300 gallons of water, about 330 gallons of water to produce one pound of malt that only the sugars are used in the beer making process. And so wouldn't it make sense to put its co-product to best use, you know, as well, especially when there's all kinds of nutrition and flavor and functionality. Oh, that's interesting. So to some degree, not only are you making a product out of what would have been basically waste, but you're maybe also helping make beer more sustainable too, by reducing 
Yeah, know, I mean, that, that technically goes into that product because now it's spread across multiple products. Yeah, and it's not that brewers are wasteful, right? It's no. just there's there's no way, and brewers are actually generally great environmental st- stewards. There's just no way to produce beer without also producing this this material. And for the brewer, they're they're generating so much of it, even small breweries, millions of pounds a year, that they just need to get it out, mm-hmm. or they can't make more beer. And so it's kind of the path of least resistance. You know, generally that means they're either giving it away for animal feed if a farmer will come pick it up. And an urban brewery might have trouble doing that. And it could be a cost center for them is what we found with, with urban breweries that you have to pay to have this stuff hauled away. But then to your point, you know, by working with us, they also have this great story that they can tell. Of, hey, beer is an agricultural product. One of the main inputs and the, by far the largest volume you know, byproduct of this is the grain that we've simply taken the sugars from. And, you know, we work with Regrain to turn that back into, into food. Our tagline used to be, uh, have your beer and eat it too. Um, <laughs> and I think that really captures the kind of the spirit of our relationship with the, uh, you know, with the breweries. And we've taken this, this idea and we've kind of built it into a movement, not alone. You know, we've got some other great companies that were early on in the upcycling game. Um, I remember the, uh, the first other company that I saw that had the word upcycled on their food product packaging is uh, Barnana, you know, who's known for their banana snacks and, and plantain chips, you know, which they came out with later. And that, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of had this moment together. Where we're like, Oh, you know, we both arrived at the same app because upcycling as a term was actually coined in reference to material science, you know, generally mm-hmm. and like circular, circular economy, circular design. So looking at taking water bottles, for example, and turning them into an input for, you know, like Patagonia's, uh, fleece right yep. and taking you know building materials and turning outputs into inputs which is exactly what we're trying to do but we're doing it with with food you know and it's not recycling recycling is when you put something back into kind of a i guess in itself you see, think of a water bottle getting turned back into a, a water bottle to, to follow with that example recycling for food for organic material would be like making compost that you can then use to enrich the soil and grow more crops which is way better than landfill right that's that's still going to a higher use but it's kind of the lowest I, I use and it's great for inedi- uh, inedible, you know, streams like coffee grounds and eggshells and things like that. Yeah, compost is is great. Yeah. But we're talking about nutrition that could be used to feed people. You know, even if you're looking at feeding animals, right? As a so better than a lot of the other lower uses. Same reason why you like having a plant based diet is something that's that's more sustainable. You know, we're talking yeah. about feeding uh, humans directly. Yeah, the way I like to think of it, like upcycling versus recycling versus downcycling, is just you're moving it up or down the value chain or keeping the value basically the same. Like you said, a water bottle into another water bottle is kind of down the same path, right? But a water bottle that gets turned into a fleece or a park bench or something that's going to stick around a lot longer and and hold a lot more value is upcycling. But then downcycling would be, you know, what happens to a lot of plastic after a few rounds of recycling, like it can no longer be used in that way, but maybe there's something else we can still do with the leftover bits and pieces and probably lower down the value chain. Absolutely. And, you know, we need, we need all of these solutions, but one of the things that's exciting about as much as we can upcycle as possible, you know, doing it is because you're, what you're able to do then is replace virgin materials being used in a product's design, mm-hmm. which has kind of ripple effect impacts, you know, as you go, as you look upstream, you know, for, for your products. And what's exciting is, is that it's also the huge market opportunity. You know, now that's a, uh, huge number of consumers that are indicating that they care about doing their part to reduce food waste. You know, Matson did the study where they found that 60% are looking to buy more products with upcycled ingredients. That number jumped up to 80% once they actually were educated on what upcycling was. This is happening. Actually, Whole Foods this year named upcycled foods as a top 10 trend for the coming year. It's really exciting for me, you know, having been working on this for so long to see uh, upcycled foods like having its having its moment. And it's really good for the upcycled food association and for just frankly the world. New Hope did a study where they were looking at, you know, they put on Expo West and they found that since COVID, you know, making uh, environmental health is, is more important than ever. Paying more attention to food waste is actually over-indexed relative to the other issues as being something they're paying more attention to. Kind of fun. Regrain actually got called out, you know, specifically in this in, the, in this trend. It's it's just it's really great to see the the rising tide, you know, if you will, of mm-hmm. of upcycled food and kind of where we're going with it. And what's most exciting about it is that it's a, a huge open tent where virtually every food company or product company can get involved. 
with upcycling by making it a pri- you know a priority for innovation. And we're going to kind of get in later to what that looks like internally, looking at maybe some of your own like waste streams that could be better utilized or through partnerships and sourcing, you know, upcycled ingredients, you know, to be key components of, you know, new, new products. It's kind of this, this ultimate intersection between sustain- sustainability and health. And when it's done well, you know, it's also like is, is incredibly tasty. You know, Regrain's case specifically, like what we're making with our flour, we can we can use it in all kinds of different applications from savory to sweet. Like if you can name it, we've probably regrained it. Like our vision as a company is not to bring all these products to market ourselves. What we're looking to do is work with other food companies on ultimately, you know, creating creating products together. And there's just a you know huge, huge range of versatility. I love that tagline there. If you can name it, we'd probably regrain it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just need we just need you to help bring it to market, you know, because because we've got uh, billions of pounds to focus on here. I did the math one time, actually, Gage, on what 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 our impact would be if we were in a hundred million dollar a year brand in terms of sales. Mm-hmm. Which you know, big secret, we're not <laughs> doing a hundred million dollars a year in sales yes, right now. Not yet. Not yet. But you know, it'd be a very successful uh, milestone to reach, right? As you know, looking at the you know kind of bottom line metrics, right? I guess that'd be top line, but we'd only work with like three breweries, four breweries. And so, but we can make a lot more of a dent by getting our product inside of other product, kind of like you know, Intel inside for, for food, if you, if you will. Nice. Yeah. Just so to, wait, you said you crunched yeah. the numbers on what the impact would be. Oh, that's what I'm saying. It'd be like, it'd only be the output of like a handful of breweries, you know, oh. at hundred, even, <laughs> even at a hundred million sales of, of consumer products. Right wow. Okay. Yeah. A pound per six pack. I mean, just you know, consider that for a minute. It's like really hard to visualize what twenty billion pounds of a material looks like. And and then what we're able to do is like it turns out this technology that we developed at the USDA to do this it works well for like oats from the oat milk production and you know other kind of beverage you know saturated you know byproducts. And so we're really interested, and a lot of other upcyclers, you know, most you know, many in the association and. You know, we all need partners in order to actually bring these things to life. But what we're looking to do is like, you know, bring these new ingredients into availability, you know, commercial viability and have to be economically feasible. Obviously, food safety is incredibly important when you're looking at rescuing from another, you know, it's like rescuing in line is is super important. But this is, I think, one of the most exciting frontiers of climate action, you know, for brand brand marketers and product developers, because it's something that's like, unlike a lot of these other issues, like you know, choosing to engage in upcycling is 100% in your control. You know, when you look at like carbon footprint and, you know, all these other environmental action, that's, that's all super important. It can also feel very intimidating and, you know, intractable because there's just like so, so complicated. There's so many different things to, to consider that are, that are interconnected and just, you know, frankly complicated. And that can be paralyzing. Uh, like I get it. But with something like upcycling, it's a lot more kind of intuitive and clear cut and fun. And it's not the only thing uh, I hope people are, are doing to, to take climate action. But I think it's one of the, I guess to be a little punny, you know, the, lo- the low hanging fruit on this. So that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited to just share our philosophy and our excitement for it. Yeah. One of the fun things is with a lot of sustainability, I think it's hard to move into the mainstream because it's all about doing less, like taking shorter showers or buying less packaging or, eating less meat or whatever, but with, with upcycling, you get to do more. You get to <laughs> eat as yeah. much as you want, you know, like, buy well, and it's just, you want and like make it, sure and know that it's like going towards something good. Totally. And it's this idea of, you know, there's a lot of focus on doing less bad, which is kind of, you know, part of what you're getting at. And yeah. what's exciting about upcycling is it's one of the opportunities to do more good. Right. And that's a very empowering purpose. I think, you know, I think uh, to, to embrace. So just to go through some other, you know, and then we'll get into so, some more discussion, but I wanted to just kind of see some inspiration by, by showing some other examples of, of upcycling. You know, this is just like the, the, you know, the pickles and the whey, you know, if you look at like vegetables and root to stem opportunities, I mean, this, if you're for like trained chefs, for example, they don't, they don't waste anything. Every, you know, I, you use scraps to make soup stock, you know, and, and all kinds of other things. Um, I love the the carrot example because carrot tops, you know, if you shop at the farmer's market or, you know, in the organic section of the aisle where they're actually still, you know, on the carrot, most people are just like, what the, you know, they're just like toss them, right? Because it's not, you know, seen as edible, but it's actually very similar to parsley in flavor and it can be used to make like chimichurri and, you know, fun, you know, fun like sauces or mixed in as a, as an herb, you know, inclusion, fresh herb inclusion and in, in, in various dishes. Yeah, I like to throw it in my soups as like an extra green element, extra seasoning too. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I'm not surprised that, you, that you're doing that. And I'm proud of you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I do my part. Uh, yeah. You know, one of, I, I know this is one of both of our favorite examples of like what in, in, upcycling internally can look like. Farmhouse cultures, you know, they started with their kraut, right? And now they have a full product family that's actually like really integrated in how the supply chain works. Do you remember the exact sequence of how, you know, of how this, I think the kraut came first and then they realized they had like the juice left over that could be used for the gut shot. Right. And then they started making more of that. And so then they had more of the pressings from the kraut than they needed for the kraut itself. And so then they started, and then they made chips uh, with that. I think that's how that yeah, progression that's, worked. That's the way yeah. I heard it. Which is awesome. Right. I mean, and it makes sense too. Cause like, why would they throw something away or send it to farm use or, you know, some of these other if they can just create another product that they can then sell and you know, all these products, in my opinion, at least, I mean, I, I just love kimchi and fermented things too. So I'm yeah. kind of a sucker for this stuff, but they're all, they're all, they're all, they're all delicious and it makes good business sense too. So it's, it can be, it can be talked, it can be talked about as upcycled or not. It also just makes financial sense to not, to yeah. not waste. And what I don't know about this case study is whether they saw the trend going towards things like gut shots and they're like, wait a minute, we've got all that juice sitting around. We could easily bottle that up and it'll sell. Or if they had just noticed over time, like, wow, we're, we're just dumping a lot of juice. Like maybe if we package it up, people will enjoy it. And then obviously yeah. the chips was just kind of a brilliant move that made sense. Cause everybody loves good snacking products. Mm-hmm. That's something, yeah, we've really leaned into with, with regrant too. It's like, so, yeah, if you can make something snackable, make doing good as easy as a snack for your body and the planet. And I mean, that's, that's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly where the, the inspiration came, came from that. I, I would suspect from talking to them to me, my, my impression was more the the scenario that you described where it's like, Hey, we've got a lot of this stuff. What can we do with it? And yeah, it's, 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 it's good stuff. Another example, more in the animal protein side of things. I don't know if they're still making all of these products you know, since, you know, post acquisition and everything, but you look at like Epic provisions and, you know, they've got, products that use the whole animal, mm-hmm. right? Just kind of a, you know, again, common sense, right? These products aren't marketed as upcycled, but I would argue that they, you know, that they are, that they are upcycled. Yeah. And I think this, that's a good example too, of what you were saying before, where it's not new. Like if we go back to earlier times when economically it made sense to use every piece of the animal you possibly could so that you don't have to burn the energy or money either buying a new animal or going to hunt another one. <laughs> right. Um, so I think they were just kind of re bringing that back into mainstream c- culture, that idea I, of like use the whole animal. And then it also counts as upcycling. Yeah. It's just funny. Cause these are, yeah, these are very old ideas. It's just as our food system has gotten more and more industrialized and specialized too often, we've kind of, veered away from that that idea like waste is just built into the system it's just the, it's the status quo it's yeah. how it's we we're no more one, I don't, I don't think I, speed and scale than we were on efficiency or effectiveness and then yeah next thing you know we things just got out of control like we, we didn't notice how bad it was getting until it was really bad and we saw the numbers of like you the numbers you were showing before of how much food is wasted and then it's eye-opening exactly. it's actually one of the ways i like to describe organic as well when you know earlier in the days when i was bringing organic food to to the office and coworkers were like ew that's gross what is that weird stuff that probably tastes like crap and has dirt in it or something <laughs> but the i would just like to remind people that well this is actually the way food has been since yeah, we didn't used to, we didn't used to have to call it organic yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah there was only like until like the 40s or 60s when we started changing the way we do things that we moved away from organic but literally for millions of years, like every animal or species that came before us has been eating organic and we were eating organic up until like your grandparents age. And then we just switched. So I'm just eating what we've always ate. You're eating the weird stuff. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like it's just kind of a weird, and it's just all about wording too, I think, because organic had to take on this extra label of organic and then non-organic food, which was actually the weird new stuff got to use the term conventional. <laughs> right, right. Where do, how did we get into that mess? Uh, like, so, that ridiculous. So back ass words, right? Yeah. And, you know, and, that, and then there's education that's required too. So you think about, you know, something like upcycling and it's not necessarily the craziest idea, but you've got to, 
help consumers, you know, make, make the choice easy for them and help them understand it. And like with upcycling specifically, we're talking about the products that would have otherwise gone to waste, gone to lower use, but you don't want to put the word, in my opinion, you don't want to put the word waste on a, on a package, right? You don't want to make people feel like they're, you know, dumpster diving or something because they're not, you know, they're not, but they, but you still need them to understand the connection to the impact, or at least we want them to, because it's something that, you know, people want to feel good about what they're, what they're doing. And so, it's an interesting marketing puzzle that's been really fun to make progress towards, you know, where, where I think we've, I wouldn't say we've hundred percent figured it out at, you know, at regrain, but you know, come a, come a really long way. And it's, uh, I think it's reflecting in some of the market trends that we were, that we were talking earlier. Um, this image you're showing. I like the idea of squash guts vinegar. Yeah. Squash guts. So this is a um, yeah, spare food code. It's a uh, chef, Adam K and, and his brother, Jeremy, uh, Adam was the, culinary director and sous chef at, at, at Blue Hill and Stone Barnes, you know, Dan Barber, who's the, the famous chef that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was really leading that with him and he's been very active in, in food waste uh, from a, from a culinary perspective. And, you know, he, he, he lent me this image uh, to, to use in, in presentations. I think it's a great example of like looking at something that, you know, we think of pumpkin seeds, right. But like, what about other, other types of squashes, you know, what else can be, you know, what else can be done? We were talking about the kraut chips, uh, foragers, chips, uh, veggie chips, you know, use fruits and vegetables that were pressed, you know, in the juicing process. I really like the positioning of fresh, fresh pressed vegetables too, as opposed mm-hmm. to pulp. Oh, there's another great brand, Pulp Pantry, that's out there that's doing chips out of out of juice pulp. Um, what was cool about Forger, I thought, was that it was it was another example of kind of their own internal process. And I think the for I don't know if there's I think they aren't focused as much on the snacks anymore because they've really gotten into plant based dairy as opposed to more juice. Uh, but mm-hmm. when they were doing a lot of juice and they were creating a lot of pulp, then they launched these. And I think these started selling really well and they had to, then they started sourcing pulp from other, other juice companies. Uh, huh. Nice. Kind of neat. One of my other favorite examples I like to bring up is coffee. You know, the coffee plant is, is amazing. We only consume the pit, right? The, the beans, like the pit of a cherry gets roasted and you know whatnot it's uh, everything that we associate with coffee is with with the bean but it comes from the the inside of a, of a fruit and that fruit is often discarded at the country of origin and you've seen it marketed perhaps in the last few years as cascara is another name for the coffee fruit or the coffee cherry it's got a lot of antioxidants and it's also got a lot of caffeine in it too so it's being used in, in energy drinks uh one of the the most Commercial scale examples of coffee fruit being used is by the uh, you know the low sugar beverage. I believe they're owned by Pepsi now, maybe Coke. They have coffee fruit extract, you know, in their in their products as a source of as a source of antioxidants. The coffee plant also has a leaf. You know, there's a company called Wise Monkey up in uh, up in Canada that makes a, a tea out of the coffee leaf. It's a really interesting product. Yeah, I think cacao pods are the same kind of way oh there you go yeah exactly <laughs> uh repurpose pod is not doing this anymore i believe there's a few other companies that have, that have come across recently that are looking at the cacao fruit kind of similar similar idea where there's a pulp it's actually have you ever had it before gage i haven't it's a really interesting flavor like interesting in a good way it's got like this tropical fruit profile that's like kind of hard to describe it's kind of its own thing it's not you know it's not like exactly like a mango or a pineapple or you know it's got it's got its own profile it's very sweet there's a company making a sweetener out of it uh, i don't know how to pronounce their name it's like x-o-c-a exoka something like that where they sell like a honey almost it can be used as an oh. ingredient in food products you know it's a really interesting supply chain uh, mandalay has launched a product called uh yay cacao or yay cow something like that Last year, apologies, my memory is not, not perfect on, on on the brand name, but it was a similar idea where it took the because they obviously as as Mondelez, you know, they, they they make a lot of chocolate products, and so they've got yeah. a lot of this in their supply chain, and so they kind of brought a innovation to market under like as a sub brand. Mm-hmm. Then there's Barry Calibo, who's one of the big you know the, a great like chocolate provider in the in the industry, and they just launched a whole fruit chocolate bar. So like you know a lot of times chocolate has sugar added to it, right? To, even yeah. you know, dark chocolate has a sugar added to it. So why not use the sugar from the cacao fruit as, as a part of that? That was what they did. Probably my favorite example that I like to end with before heading off into whatever discussion territory we, we want to from here, Gage, is that of Toast Ale. Um, this is a, an old brand shot of theirs. They've, they've kind of updated their, their brand since then. But what they're doing is they're taking surplus bread. So like bread is generates massive amounts of waste at the retail level because it's very difficult to 
do inventory planning with bread, you know, and it's, it's got a very short shelf life. And so it's one of the largest components that, you know, is making up the, the food waste streams exiting retailers in particular. And there's so much of it that the food, you know, food banks have way too much bread too. No one wants the surplus bread, but similarly, you know, all those resources went into making the bread itself. And so toast figured out a way, and there's actually, it's actually based on a pretty old traditional brew called a kvass, you know, out of Eastern Europe. You actually take some of the fermentable sugars that are in the bread and use it to make beer. And so I always like to end with this one because they're kind of the, uh, the flip side of what we're doing, you know, with regrain. And so it's like from, you know, from bread into beer and, and back again, you know, we'll definitely have uh, some, <laughs> you know, we, we love to talk about doing stuff like that. And hopefully we'll have some collaborations in the, in the future, but I think really, you know, really creative way to brew beer, you know, using what would have otherwise gone to waste. And so, yeah, that's, awesome. uh, it I'm, really, thirsty, I'm thirsty and hungry. Yeah. It really makes it a, a liquid bread then <laughs> like beer's always joked. About yeah. It gives it, <laughs> gives it a whole new meaning, right? Yeah. That's great. That's fun. Uh, thanks for sharing those examples. So, you know, as we talked about before this, I think there's a lot of opportunities for other companies to dig into upcycling and we'll share kind of a framework a little bit later, but just out of curiosity, if other when other companies are coming to you, you know, maybe mentioning that uh, they want to get into upcycling, what's your first tip for them? Stop thinking about it and start <laughs> start doing right. Like the hardest part for a lot of groups yeah. is to just take action on on ideas. I think with upcycling, it also presents a really interesting opportunity to break down the traditional silos that exist within a, a company. You know, especially within big companies, because a lot of times new ingredients will live in like product development land where they you know do trials and they you know they're always very interested in trying new ingredients i've never met a product developer that's like not interested in trying an, a new ingredient but without a path to market it's not going to go anywhere right and you know so get involving uh, the marketing teams pretty early on you know about the and it's actually really great when it starts from the commercial side of the business and then goes into uh you know r d because then you've got a case like saying hey like we're interested in positioning products as being as being upcycled let's develop, you know, let's develop with that directive. And it kind of a, le a level deeper than that is actually involving the sustainability folks that are now, you know, there's now like full-time sustainability teams or at least individuals at most companies now that are, you know, they're sustainability professionals. Um, I actually have a grad degree, a uh, sustainable business degree. Um, and a lot of my fellow alumni and, and peers, you know, these are the types of roles that they're in. They go in these, you know, into other companies and help run corporate social responsibility and environmental, you know, initiatives. And food waste is a, a topic actually that many companies, as virtually all of the big ones, have, have public you know commitments against drawing down on, on on food waste as a means of of climate action. And involving that also makes it just can help make it stickier and internally. Um, and so you know really like to encourage cross team you know collaboration when thinking about upcycling as an opportunity, and that can help get get, get projects going a little smoother. Yeah, that makes sense. So a couple things that we mentioned, I think, during this earlier part of the presentation is sometimes it's the market demand maybe that can drive it, like, you know, gut shots all of a sudden becoming a thing and you realize you've got all this juice that you could be packaging up as a gut shot that you've been kind of wasting before. And then sometimes it's just awareness of your supply chain <laughs> that can drive a product idea and in, in which case maybe you realize you're dumping all this juice and you could do something with it. So then identifying where to go from there. Yeah. Or even, or also like upstream from your own supply chain, like maybe you're sourcing. So, you know, the, like the chocolate example, you know, maybe you're sourcing chocolate, right. And if you tell your supplier that you would, you know, just using the chocolate as an example that, you know, assuming they don't know how to process it and all that kind of stuff, you say, Hey, like we would actually like to use some of the, byproducts you know because that's something that you could provide to us you know that could also create you know share, shared value in that way and because most you know many food companies food companies aren't ingredient com like finished food companies are not ingredient companies right and ingredient companies need demand from the food companies in order to in order to do it and so i think it's like if you're doing your own production and looking at that that that's great and then also looking upstream to things that you might be sourcing externally and saying oh, okay are there maybe are there any other kind of co-products that can help make this like a holistic upcycled product. And I think you're going to go to my, my next point next. Well, just a quick tangent before we go there. But uh, yeah. one thing that occurred to me too, based on that comment is, you know, like many things, sustainability focused, there is not just about using that product that would have otherwise gone to waste. But now, like you mentioned, if you're talking to your ingredient supplier, 
and asking them, hey, what can we do with some of that stuff that's being wasted? You're also giving them an extra income earning opportunity where maybe they'll have to do a little bit of extra work to process that and get it ready for whatever. But really that that value is already there. They just need to do something with it. So creating more economic value for your suppliers, which will hopefully build a better relationship with them as well. Oh, 100%, especially for crops that are, you know, imported from, you know, like the, the global south, you know, things that you might be uh, associate with like having a fair trade certification, right? Because of, you know, the various economic drivers behind that. So like coffee and chocolate and sugar and, and whatnot. And so like, if you look at uh, like the coffee example, you know, you go to a coffee shop and you pay a few bucks for a cup of coffee. The farmers are generally making sense, you know, like single digit cents. And there's a lot of labor actually that grows into that goes into cultivating and processing coffee. And so by saying, hey, well, we'll also you know buy the coffee fruit, and it creates another crop for them. Uh, the other thing is the coffee harvest is is once a year, you know. And so with the coffee leaf model, um, and why you know Wise Monkey, uh, some great you know, information available about this, it creates an opportunity also for them to have income year round. It's like okay, with this one tree, you know, that we've been cultivating for so long you know, that has only been producing one crop, you know, now there's three crops that can be created from it. Yeah. And it needs to be done, you know, with things like leaves, like you can obviously pick all the leaves and all the plants, or it's going to reduce the productivity of the plant, and, you know, damage it and, and whatnot. But it's a great, it's a great point bringing up the, you yeah. know, that's a you know, creature shared value and it's, it's just good for everybody. Yeah. It's not exactly on topic with upcycling, but that reminds me of what Alter Eco is doing a lot with their kind of efforts for, reforestation of farmland basically of, mm-hmm. of doing agroforestry by where maybe there was a monoculture cacao farm before you bring in banana trees and shade trees and a bunch of other kind of plants that can create more of a diverse forest there that then is self-supporting it creates more shade for the farm workers it creates more like fruit trees and other things that they can use to have other sources of income like you were mentioning but then also creates, you know, better products in the end as well. So there's there's lots of things that can be done to help create more better relationships and more value for your supply chain, which I think is helpful. But uh, I guess back to upcycling. So for people who are looking to get into upcycling, help them foresee some of their biggest challenges. Like what, what have you seen in your own business or in other people's businesses that is a sticking point that if they know that ahead of time, maybe they can overcome it. A few things, you know, one is that you can get involved with upcycling by simply sourcing upcycled ingredients from companies like, like, you know, like, like Regrained and, you know, the others in the upcycle food association, renewal mills, another great company. They're doing Okara from, from soy milk production. There's, I mean, there's just a, I mean, it take me, we have over 120 members now, you know, and many great. of them are, there's, and there's some good competition going on in there. There's just, there's just so much, Competition meaning that there's you know, multiple companies working on the same the same thing because there's there's so much you know available and so you know I think it's important to note that we're not just talking about looking at like upcycling from within your own operation but ways to you know work with with companies that are trying to develop markets for this and, and operate on a on that sort of scale in that it is really like food safety is you know really really important and it's important to know that like you know, who you're working with and they know what they're doing in that respect. I think with something like upside, it's such a big opportunity that it, it leads to many people wanting to, I guess, capitalize on it. And it's just like with anything, you know, choose your partners carefully. There are definitely like great ones out there. Uh, you know, we'd certainly love to work with, with anyone on, on, on various projects. There's another thing is there's sometimes a perception that because these are, you know, ingredients that would have gone to waste, that they're going to be cheaper. And we're still at the early stages of the, you know, of the market here. And one of the unique things about upcycle business models is that we have a, a vertically integrated supply chain in many cases. So like if you look at, you know, and I can always just speak to regrain more specifically than, than others, because it's the business I'm, I'm building. You know, we had to invent technology and we had to mm. build a plant, you know, and, at scale, like longer term, you know, this the cost will come come down a lot. We're actually not, it's not like we're, a, you know, a Ferrari of, of ingredients, you know, but we're also not like a necessarily a used Corolla you know, or, or something <laughs> uh, where, you know, we're talking about, you know, novel ingredients, you know, they're not one-to-one substitutions. That's another thing that we can talk about in a second, you know, and so it's, it's, it's not great to look at it 
as like a substitution for what you're already doing. What I, you know, where I think it, it makes a lot more sense is to look at new product development. You know, going into what is the uh, you know the white space that you're looking to go into as a brand. Maybe it's in the snacking set, or maybe it's you know ex- you know different extensions, or maybe it's if you're a huge food company, maybe it's creating another sub brand that can commercialize some of these ideas and creating new products that incorporate this from the beginning, as opposed to trying to work backwards and reach parity in a, in any respect. You know, with an existing product, I think. You know the opportunity with upcycling is is on net new. You know is on create and that makes sense. Yeah, like yeah. One of the things I'm hearing there is if there's a partner out there, somebody you can partner with who's already invested in all the supply chain and so on and so forth, or the manufacturing equipment in the process. Definitely start there because obviously then you don't have to buy all the equipment and figure out how to do it and yeah. so on and so forth. But also therefore by helping grow that specific supply chain, you're also helping bring the cost down for yourself and everyone else. Yeah. It's like, let's, uh, let's all focus on doing what we do best, you know, and working together towards solutions. So like, you know, with Regrain, like we, yeah, we have consumer products because we're trying to build demand for this new ingredient, but our focus long-term isn't on that. There's a lot of great companies out there that make finished goods products. You're experts at you know, developing products, bringing them to market, distributing them. We don't want to like reinvent that wheel. We want to help play a role in deciding where it's where it's rolling, right? By providing this new supply chain that you know, brings all the benefits that we've, that we've talked about on the yeah. you know on the call and in virtually every aisle of the grocery store on every menu you know that you could think of for a you know a restaurant. Like there's there's opportunities to bring you know upcycled food and you know more broadly just action against reducing waste and you know climate action it just takes thinking creatively and then taking action you know on uh, on those creative ideas that makes sense one of my favorite new phrases is done starts with do so just i like get, that just get started and uh, i'm gonna you'll upcycle eventually that find, yeah <laughs> you'll eventually find your way there yeah that's helpful so to some degree maybe it's like if you have something like farmhouse example that you mentioned if you've got something that you're throwing away that you could easily just put in a bottle or something and sell it. Great. That's a good place to start. But if, but really it's the more tangible territory is in creating new products. And in some of those cases, ideally, you know, partner with somebody who's already an expert in that. But in a case where there is no partner, maybe you can be bold and brave and kind of figure out a process and buy equipment and stuff like that. And then you can now have a new revenue stream of selling that to other people. Talk about it, you know, like, I think this is, we, we live in a world where, um, you know, the way I like to think about it is it's not that everyone cares about everything that you're doing, right? Just like that. But there are groups of, of, of humans that care about each of the things that, that you're doing. And this is one that, uh, you know, you, you can use your, your operations as marketing right? With, with upcycling. And I think that that there's a level of, of authenticity there that, you know, really, you know, earns loyalty from your customers. Yeah, that makes sense. Speaking of talking about it, plug the Upcycled Food Association real quick. What are what are yeah. you all working on? How do people get involved? Do you already need to be upcycling in order to be a member? Yeah, the Upcycled Food Association, it's an industry nonprofit. Uh, 10 companies came together about a year ago to found it, of which, you know, Regrand was, was one. We now have over 120 members. They're That's including great. some yeah. big international companies like like Dole Foods is a, is a member. There's associate members and full members. To be a member though, it's it's more about like the service level that you want from from the organization as opposed to the type of business that you are. Being a full member of course has has as the most. So even if you're just interested in upcycling or creating, you know, upcycled you know, product lines, you know, maybe starting as an associate member is a, is a good way to do that to kind of get, get on the inside track of it. One of the most, so this year we did uh, three main things, you know, one was start the organization. You know, we're trying to get to 75 members this year. We obviously did, did a lot better than, than that, which is super exciting. The second was to define upcycled foods. We actually released the first official definition of what upcycled foods are. And it was done not by the association. It was overseen by the association in partnership with stakeholders from, from academics and from the public sector. And it, it's, it's really great to, to see. And you can download that, that full report on the upcycledfood.org website. And then taking that definition and set, we set up a committee. I think there's 20 people on it of, again, not the board, you know, not the members, uh, although there's some member representation on this committee, but it's a, you know, a task force basically to create the, the first upcycled food standard, you know, for, for certifying. And so the, there's actually right now, uh, depending on when this goes live, we're recording this at the end of November, 
there's a, the, a draft of that certification that's publicly available that you know, actually we're really looking for public comment on. And so if you go to the Upcycled Food website, it's like one of the top links you know, to, to, to look at the standard and to, to comment on it. And by Q1, we hope to start certifying uh, the world's first like certified upcycled products, which will you know, really be a, a hallmark achievement for, for the movement because it'll create a, you know, the idea is it creates a standard you know, of identity that can lift all, lift all boats. And I got to say, we're working with some really talented designers on what that certification will, will look like. Yeah. I hear they're pretty awesome. I <laughs> know that's modern species. <laughs> yeah. We're excited to work with you on that. Like partly because, you know, we love interesting challenges, but also like we mentioned at the beginning of this, it's one of the best one of our best chances to reverse climate change. So anything we can do to like push the world forward towards more sustainability or regenerative lifestyles and culture, that's, we're all for it. So that's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing uh, the upcycling story and sharing some pro tips with the community and appreciate your time coming out and we'll point people to regrained as well as upcycled food association and other links in show notes or comments, et cetera. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Thanks so much for having me. As I always like to say, I'm, I'm, I'm super easy to find and love to engage with the just this incredible industry that, that we're all you know a part of together. And so great having the opportunity to share some, hopefully you'll see this some insight, not just a you know, babble from a guy that cares a lot about uh, eating beer. And you know, looking forward to seeing what we can all do together. Awesome. Cheers. Cheers. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dan. I sure did. But I also thought it would be cool to give you something actionable to take away from that. So there's a lot of good inspiration, a lot of good information. But now, how do we turn that into action? So to do that, I came up with a simple four-step process that you can try implementing for your own brand to identify upcycling opportunity. It goes from identify, to rescue, to innovate, to filter. Pretty simple four-step process. Obviously, can get much more complex as you're workshopping it. And I'll let you figure that out on your own for now, but I'll just give you a place to start. All right. The first step you want to start with, of course, is, is identifying. And that just means identifying what you could be working with. So you'll start by mapping out your inputs and your outputs within your own operations first, because you know that's where you have all the knowledge already. You could probably just do that pretty quickly on your own right now. Then if you want to go a bit deeper, you can start by identifying inputs, outputs, and waste that are within your supply chain. So that might be your your farmers, your manufacturers, your growers, your your whatever your product is, you'll have a whole supply chain around that. And you know, start by talking to them about what are all your inputs, what are your outputs, like what are we losing in that in the middle of that process? And is there something we can capture in that process? For now, you don't need to have, have the solutions for what to do with those things. Just get it all on paper and identify the opportunities for wasted materials. Now, let's assume that that waste in the process isn't something that you can just kind of tweak the system a little bit to eliminate that waste. Obviously, if you can do that, just go ahead and do that to start with. But let's just assume for the sake of this exercise that those are things that you can't tweak out of the system and that that's just waste. It's just going to be there. But maybe we can do something with that waste. So the next step is rescue. Now, how could we take the raw materials that are just being thrown out, recycled, composted, whatever, that's, that's being downcycled or trashed in general? How can we capture those things and extend their life and make them more useful, functional, and sellable? It'll probably have to go through some sort of process because you just take the wasted produce, for example, that's the leftover choppings while you're making your soup. You'll need to actually do something with those things, whether that's freeze it, dry it, powder it, whatever. But think through both how you can actually rescue that item to extend its useful life. Now you have not only some identified waste opportunities, but some ideas of what you could do to extend that and maybe even sell it as its own ingredient, which is a, is a feasible path. But let's say you want to create your own value-add product with those ingredients. So now, with all those kind of ingredients that you're working with and different forms that you've come up with, what are some different product ideas that you could create that fit your brand and your market? So obviously, start by working in your own category. Let's say you're working in functional beverages. So maybe you've identified a new ingredient that you can work with for your functional beverages. 
Maybe you want to go into a new category. Let's say you are a functional beverage and you want to move into healthy snacking. Well, that could be also a good place to explore. But first of all, just define some parameters where you want to innovate. But also keep in mind hot consumer trends that are on the market right now. Because obviously, launching a product that's already desired is a good place to start rather than having to create a new category or something. But just come up with all the different products you can that could be simple tweaks to a single ingredient to make it really tasty or chewy or whatever. It could be multi-ingredient value-add products, but just come up with a whole range of ideas at this stage, you know, blue sky territory. Now, to get a little bit more realistic, step four is filter. So you're going to put those ideas through a process of deciding which ones make the most sense to move forward with. In my personal opinion, I would start by putting it through your brand filter, whatever you however you currently kind of evaluate product opportunities, then put it through some sort of feasibility filter. For example, if this idea is going to take $2 million and you know 10 years to get off the ground, while you might decide that's a worthy goal to pursue, you might also want to find some opportunities that are more short-term and easier to get off the ground within your own operations and you might not even need to tap the rest of your supply chain. But figure out how you want to assess and how many projects you want to take on. And then, of course, prototype those and, you know, price them, market test with consumers and retailers and what else you need to do, but obviously filter those ideas. So again, those four steps, pretty simple, just giving you a place to start. Identify your wasted materials, rescue them in any way you can so that you can extend their usefulness, then find innovative new product ideas, and then filter them based on what makes sense for you, your brand, your budget, whatever else should be fairly easy to get going. If you want some more inspiration beyond what you heard on today's conversation, go to www.upcycledfood.org and you can see a whole list of their upcycled food or even personal care or pet food. They've got a bunch of different clients on there, but just go to their website, check out who's the members of that association and see what kind of products they're launching because you'll probably get even more inspiration from there that you might be able to pull into your own innovation process. All right. I hope that's helpful. just wanted to give you something a little actionable. Again, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dan, his company, or the Upcycled Food Association, go to regrained.com and upcycledfood.org. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, hit that like button and share it with your colleagues. And of course, send us feedback and ideas for who we should talk to next at evolve at modernspecies.com and learn about our upcoming online community at evolvecpg.com. See you next week.